This morning, we're in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to, 5, 4 to 5. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. And Paul's writing there, of course, to the Galatians. And these are great words that he writes that we should reflect on during this season, during this time. And it's, it's all about God's timing. I love God's timing. Sometimes I don't, but I love God's timing. Because it's always perfect. Amen. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Powerful. There's a lot more in that chapter, but I'll focus on those two verses. And this text in Galatians it caught my attention because when I hear the words, when the fullness of time had come or came, and in the New Living Translation and other translations, it, it says, but when the right time came. But the right time coming kind of misses the point a little bit, that expression with the New Living Translation, and when the right time had came. It has, there is a nuance there that is accurate, but it misses the bigger picture of what's going on here in God's plan of salvation for mankind. What does that mean when the fullness of time had come? It's not just referring to the clock striking midnight. Doing, doing. I won't do it 12 times, right? But, but striking, and, and that's the right time. It came at midnight right on, right on the money, right? There is that concept is there, but that's not all that it really means, you know? But it really means that, that all the chips, if you will, were in place. Everything was ready. Everything was in its right place, and everything had been arranged for this specific moment. And what was happening, if I could put it in these words, was that God was measuring the circumstances, and now, now when Jesus was born, He determined that it was time for action. Now is the time for Christ to be born. And simply put, I'll, 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 I'll simplify it, and I'll, I will use what the New Living Translation says, that at just the right time, Jesus was born. But it's more than just the clock striking midnight, right? Because first, notice that it was the right time historically. It was the fullness of time. Everything had swelled up all around the world and throughout history for Christ to be born. This was part of the fullness, if you will. When everything meets together historically and personally and in God's plan and His vision of how this would all unfold, and everything was filled up to the max, and it popped, if you will, over the top. It brimmed over, and it was time, the right time. The fullness of time had come. Everything had been leading up to this moment in history. How did God prepare the world for the birth of His Son, Jesus? He did it historically. It was the right time historically. God used the Greeks. The Greek people, the Greek uh, civilization and nation, God used the Greeks. Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire. Right? And he ruled over the Jews in 333 BC. I'm not here to bore you with history, but it's a historical fact. And I'm getting somewhere with this, okay? God said, 
When that happened, God said, I want a universal language. I want people on the earth, when my son is born, he was forming and allowing history to unfold with the Greek conquest so that there could be a language that everyone spoke. And so when he's born, everyone can hear about my son's birth. And it would be clear. When the Greeks conquered the world, the Greek language became the universal language. It did. Everyone knew a little bit of Greek. They might not have been fluent, but they all knew a little bit of Greek. They read and they wrote Greek. All legal documents were in Greek at that time. And eventually, the New Testament was written in Greek. There was a lot of Greek influence. Pilate wrote an inscription over the cross of Jesus. Do you remember on, on Calvary's Hill when Jesus is there? And his, he, he put a sign on the, above Jesus' head. And it said, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Written in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Everyone knew a little bit of Greek during this time, historically. You know what it's like, frankly? It's like English today. Right? I don't know, I don't know any Chinese. But a lot, most Chinese people know a few English words. You go to, you go to Europe, I, I, I can't speak German, but they all can speak some English. You go to Portugal, maybe not everybody, but most people could speak at least a little bit to, to get a tiny conversation going of English. It's a universal language. It's a language that everybody has to know, and it's all part of God's plan during this time, right before Jesus was born, and God was orchestrating it. Things were being filled up historically, and one of them was there's a universal language. And then God, not only the Greeks, but God used the Romans. Oh, those Romans. In 63 B.C., right, before Jesus was born, the Romans conquered the Greeks. They conquered the Greeks. And God said, by doing that and allowing that to happen and, and, and seeing history unfold, God was saying, I want universal, and I'm using this word loosely, but it's appropriate. I want universal peace. Really what I'm saying, and what, what I intend to, to convey through that, is that there was a stability in leadership and in government with the Roman Empire. That didn't mean that people weren't upset and things weren't happening, but there was stability and there was, a, there, was, there was something that was steady that was going on. And so the news, God was saying, I want that to be there, a stable, strong government and, 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 and a nation or an empire that's in place so that the news of my son Jesus can be spread easily throughout the world. There's the Greek language. Everyone spoke a little bit of Greek. Now the Romans come in. Now Latin's coming in, right? But they, they had the ability to bring stability and their empire was massive. It was the known world. And when they, took, when they took power, the Romans took power, they ruled for all intents and purposes over the entire world, so to speak. Really. No need for passports. No fear of going into enemy territory. No fear of wars to avoid. And the disciples ultimately would be free 
to travel the world with the gospel. How is that for God, allowing things to be filled up with the historical context? And the fullness was brimming up, and it was filling up, and the right moment, that right time, was coming right when God said so, when all these things were, were in place. Do you know what else came through the Romans? This might seem trivial, but it's not. It might seem like it's boring history, but it's not. It's actually, this part of history is really exciting because we benefit too. God said, I want a good road system. I want good roads so people can travel easily to spread the gospel. You don't think God thought about that? It wasn't just the Romans who created their own interstate highway system like we have here. God knew that already and he had a plan and it was all part of everything coming together so that it would be the fullness of time where it's filled up in history so that, bang, it's the exact, precise, right time for Jesus to be born. And there's an amazing road system that they have that went as far as to Asia. They had a Rome, they, the Roman roads were incredibly efficient and amazingly designed for their time. It was, it was incredible. Everyone heard about the Roman road system. And it's to the point that even now people say, all roads lead to... Because they were known for how they constructed and built and engineered their roads. God had spent, up until the Romans, 4,000 years planning the birth of his son. Man, it's so long. I'm thinking of our Sunday school lesson. But that's such a long time. A day to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. But 4,000 years to, to have that fullness of time come when everything is filled up that possibly could be filled up in the world and at that precise moment and God's spending all this time. And that's why when Jesus was born... The blueprint had already been drawn. It was there. A universal language, a universal stable government, and a universal road system. God knew what he was doing, and he still knows what he's doing. It was the right time. It was part of the filling up of history and the chronology, but it was the right time, and it was fullness of time, because it was right historically. God had it all arranged. Secondly, in that fullness of time, or at that right time when Jesus came, it was because it was also the perfect time spiritually. It was the right time for Jesus to be born from a spiritual perspective. When you look at humanity and the world and what God's plan involved, Paul said in our text in, in Galatians, he said, but when the right time came, or when the fullness of time had come, as New American Standard says, God sent his son, born of a woman, Subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. What a beautiful thing. We were slaves without Jesus and before Jesus. We were all slaves and without Christ in our lives, we are slaves to the law and that we can't do anything but sin. And the law keeps telling us you're a sinner, you're a sinner and you can never be right. You're a sinner. You can try as hard as you might, but you're a sinner all the way to the end. And then Jesus comes to break us free from that bondage and then adopt us and make us his own children. Amazing that God had this in mind. See, after the, final, the last prophet in the Old Testament in our Bible, Malachi, there were 400 years, as, as we have come to call it in church history and as Christians, there's 400 silent years, we call it, right? 
God wasn't actually silent, so to speak. But, but as far as the word goes and, and, and what's being documented and what we have and, and the prophets speaking out, there was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Malachi and Matthew in your Bible. Four centuries. That's a long time as well. There were no prophets. No scripture was written. That's recorded anyway. And, and, and heaven seemed silent, if you will, even historically and spiritually. God, where are you? What's going on? There's a waiting, and there are many things going on historically. God wasn't not involved. Don't, don't, let's not mistake that. But it seemed like heaven was silent. God, where are you? What's going on? See, God was preparing the earth for the coming of his son, Jesus. And things were getting worse and worse, really that desperation spiritually. God was preparing the earth so that when Jesus did come, the gospel could be spread throughout the whole world. God spent the silent 400 years preparing history for the birth of Jesus. I just spoke about that. I I mentioned that historically. But he's preparing. God said, I want the world to know that there is only one God. That was God's intention throughout all of history in the Old Testament. That was his intention. So, this is what God did. God used the Jews for 4,000 years to spread the truth. The truth. Not an idea. But to spread the truth that there is only one God. Now, sometimes they were faithful to that. But oftentimes they were unfaithful to carry and spread that message. We can relate to that, can't we? At the time of Jesus' birth, the world was a pagan world. Spiritually speaking, pagan world. And the Greeks had their many gods and goddesses. The Romans had their many gods and goddesses. And the Romans even expected the worship of a man. Caesar said that he should be worshipped as a god. He was deity. And in the midst of all these thousands and I do mean this, thousands of petty gods, and I'll even say pet gods to these people, all these civilizations and all these individuals and all these uh, uh, cultures. For 4,000 years, God had been preparing the world through the Jews that there was only one God, Jehovah. The prophets proclaimed to the world that the Messiah would come to save the world from their sins. The law, which was given by God himself, was running its course and proving once and for all, as you know, and we can attest, and we're we're familiar with this, and we came to terms with this in our own spiritual lives, and the Holy Spirit revealed to us the truth of our condition, right? But but once and for all, that it was, the law was limited to demonstrate, and, and demonstrating to us that no matter how hard we tried to keep it and be righteous, it was impossible. Impossible. In fact, Paul says that the law showed that all human effort to achieve righteousness, no matter the form that it took or which underlying philosophy was held to, all fall short of God's glorious standard. All. Paul spends time in Galatians writing about this, in fact, if you read the earlier, before our text even, and sin was highlighted by the law. And the result was this, spiritual darkness. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Cool, no one. 
I, I kind of am, especially when it's pitch black, like really dark. I get kind of, I get a little, I don't know if I'm afraid, but kind of, right? You just don't want to admit it, right? But, but we, we, there's, there's things that go through our head and we get certain feelings, right? Darkness is bad. And this is a spiritual darkness, which means that there is no sign of life. In other words, there is no sign of any connection to God and having that hope or a joy or eternity with Him at all. It was so bad spiritually. Even after all these historical things were happening with the roads and the, the, roads and the language and, and the stable government and, and leadership. But there was a spiritual reason. It was right spiritually because there was darkness. All had sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the, run, the law was running its course. Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus was born about the spiritual state of the world in chapter 9 in verse 2 and this is what he proclaimed. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep, deep darkness, a light will shine. And he was writing about Jesus, our Emmanuel, the Savior, who would come one day and he would break all the darkness that sin came, that spiritual darkness that was upon the earth. And in the first chapter of John's Gospel, John records and he writes this, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. He's talking about John the Baptist. But he came to testify about the light. That was what Jesus came into. He came because the spiritual condition, it was the right time spiritually. It was no hope possible without Jesus coming, and God knew that. And then he said, the true light, this is what he said, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world this is the spiritual darkness the world did not know him that is like you put the tightest blackest thickest patch on your eyes and leave it there and pretend you're trying to find god and you'll never find him that's what was going on here with with the world in general it was time for jesus to be born and God knew it when God looked at the world he knew that our greatest and the greatest need is not for more wealth it's not a need for better schools could certainly use that but if that's not what he saw not even a better welfare system our greatest need is for a savior a savior do you remember Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21? If you recall the account when Jesus uh, is going to be born and, and the angel comes to Joseph. And Matthew records that when the angel comes to Jesus, he says, Joseph, don't freak out. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. Okay. Mary's going to conceive. And he says in verse 21, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The spiritual condition was ripe. It was right. And the fullness, it was all culminating, coming together. The history and the spiritual state of humanity all coming together. And Jesus is about to be born. In fact, even after Jesus is born in John chapter 8, Jesus himself said, 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, as opposed to death, as opposed to everything bad and, 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 and void of it, but, but fullness. You will be living to the fullness, and you'll, you'll also be free, ultimately, is what he says. I am the light of the world. The world was ready spiritually for Jesus to come. But finally and thirdly, Christ's birth comes at the right time and the fullness of time was just about to happen because it was the right time for you and me personally as well. And here's where it becomes applicable now. It was the right time for Mary and Joseph. It was the right time for, for the disciples who would follow him and eventually become apostles. But there's, there's the, it's the right time. Jesus came at the right time for you and me. Yes, even over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came at the right time. It was the fullness of time because we were part of that fullness where everything fills up and brims over and now Jesus has to come. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, the angels announced to the shepherds the purpose of Christ's birth. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to read it again, maybe once or twice, and emphasize one word. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. The message was there. These shepherds who were kind of on the outskirts of the town, they're always in the fields, they're just common but kind of neglected folks, if you will. They're important because you need sheep, right? But they're out there doing their deal and the angels appear to them and they make this very personal proclamation. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Yes, you as far as humanity. But in this case, you, those shepherds, they wanted to convey that message that for you the Savior is born. And we know what happens in the end. When they hear this word, they respond and they go and they find the Christ child and they worship Him. And then they told people about Him. What do we celebrate at Christmas? What do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate the person of Christ Jesus and the purpose for which he came. You can't separate the purpose with the person. The person is the purpose. And it's all because it was the fullness of time and now it was the right time exactly, precisely, historically, but even personally for us, for Christ to be born. I love this verse. I, I love Romans 5, 8, but before I read that, I want to remind you of what Paul wrote in verse 6 and 7 because it's so powerful in light of the, the message this morning. Paul wrote, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless, we couldn't do anything. We were blind and we couldn't navigate the spiritual landscape. And we were going to go off the cliff into perdition, eternally separated from God. And Jesus comes, he says, at just the right time and died for us sinners, Paul said. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. And then verse 8, but God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It shows that God had a plan all along. It shows that he was formulating and fashioning all the events in history and he understood the spiritual landscape and and of people's hearts and of civilization and humanity and that the time was coming and it was filling up, if you will, with all these things so that the perfect time he would come for you and me personally. Do you remember the text that I just read earlier in John chapter 1? It continues in verse 12 and it says this, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. He gave the right to become children of God. And Paul writes about this, that we were enslaved to the law, but now he wants to adopt us as his own. We're adopted as his own children. Why? Because when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son Jesus to be born of a woman, born under the law, so he could set us free from the law and adopt us to be his own children. Everything was totally on cue. God saw everything that was happening and where it was creeping, and it was time for Jesus to be born. Now, what happens when Christ is born in my heart and I receive the gift of eternal life by faith? What what happens? You know, when you open your gifts this Christmas, will your life be different? Maybe there's one or two of you that will say, absolutely, it'll never be the same because of what I got for Christmas. That might be the case. There are some things and gifts that we get that are life-changing. They might make our life easier or make certain activities that we do more efficient or it's more convenient or, and it'll change your life in that regard, sure. When you receive the gifts that have been purchased for you by loved ones, will this make your life and will it make you, you any different? Maybe, to some degree. Or will you be the same as you have always been? The Bible teaches us that when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we will never be the same again because of how he affects our life. How can you possibly say, and how can you read, and how can you even fathom to to process in your mind when you take the words of Jesus I read earlier, that he comes at the right time because spiritually the world is so dark, and he came at the right time in my life when spiritually I was dark and I didn't know who he was, and I was enslaved to the law, and I was was heading towards the wages of sin, which is, and to, to, and to, to, to get them, right? Which is death. And then that free gift that comes, That Paul says, but thanks be to God that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift, right? And when I accept that, listen, when we accept that, we cannot be the same because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You're going to have the light of life in you. Think about that. There is darkness, and then all of a sudden, there's light. That that is such such a contrast. There is death, now there is life. There is despair and hopelessness, and now there is hope and there's peace. 
I mean, the con- it's an amazing. The list can go on and on and on. You can never be the same when Jesus breaks into, if I could use that expression, and I really mean that, into your life. He chose you. You didn't choose him, he said. He changes you. You can't change yourself. He directs you because you've been going the wrong way all the time and now you're going right. What a change in your life that happens when Christ comes into your life. We're forgiven of our sins, but don't dismiss it that quickly because when our sins are forgiven, God also forgets them, will not remember them, and He buries them as deep as the sea. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul said these words to Timothy about Jesus. He gave His life to purchase freedom for everyone. Now, whether or not everyone gets that freedom, that's another theological discussion regarding the election of God and who, he, who He's chosen to be His, right? That's a whole discussion. But, but, he, but His sacrifice was sufficient to save everyone. That's, that, that's how awesome it was and, and, and His coming. And, he, and Paul says, this is the message God gave to the world at just the right Time. Those are not my words, but in 1 Timothy 2.6, you'll find those words there. There it is, that word again, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, at the, at the appointed time. Just because. I don't say that flippantly. Just because he's God and he's gracious and he cares for his humanity, and he has a plan of salvation that involves Jesus and Jesus only for our redemption. Just because he's so gracious. This was grace and truth coming through Jesus. And it overshadowed that law that came from God through Moses. John writes about this in chapter 1 of his epistle as well, that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know what the truth is? I just I always put it. The truth is this. The truth is, is that we can never gain eternal life without Jesus and we're pitiful, enslaved sinners. I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. And the grace is this, that Jesus came and he didn't have to, but he did because he loved and he made a way for us to be spared that truth that because of our enslavement to sin, we deserve death. That's grace. And it came through Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus. He spoke the truth. He declared it. And he lived it. And he came as truth to highlight the fact that we can never be saved on our own. And because of his grace and his sacrifice, we are saved. Because Jesus is my Savior, my sins are forgiven. And I'm also free from the curse of the law. Cherish, please, Cherish that promise with all your heart during Christmas because He came for you to set you free from sin and its penalty. When I accept Jesus, I'm adopted into His family and I'm guaranteed citizenship in His kingdom. And therefore, I was a foreigner and an alien to God, right? Paul writes about that as well. Separated from God in Ephesians, he wrote that. But now, because I have accepted Him, I am an adopted son of the Almighty God. Everything that belongs to Jesus also belongs to me. No, really. It's true. I'm part of that family. 
I have access to all those things that Jesus has. And he wants to give those things to me. And we'll never realize how much we had access to until we actually are face-to-face with him. That's the reality. But we have so much that he offers us. When I accept Jesus, I receive the gift of his Holy Spirit to live within me. He's going to guide and counsel and protect and empower me. I'm also given his peace. Peace that allows me to cope with everyday situations, right? When I say cope, it's not because I'm like, oh. But we just go through it because His Spirit lives in us and His peace is ours. He's the Prince of Peace and He came as the Prince of Peace at the right time, at the fullness of time. Because of Jesus, my mansion in heaven is paid for. It's a dwelling place that will last for eternity. Right? So this morning... One last scripture as I close. Because God says to you and to me, and I don't know where you're at. I don't know, I don't know all of you that are here, and I don't know your, where you are spiritually and what your spiritual state is. That's between you and God, but ultimately God knows it better than you even know it. The fullness of time came. It was the fullness of time because it was perfect historically. It was the right time spiritually. But it's also the right time that Jesus came because it was right personally for so many people, including you and me, because God saw you and knew me from eternity past. Again, blows my mind. But he did. And so today, this is what God says. This is what God says about the right time. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, or today is the day of salvation. Do you see him? Do you see it? Do you see that he came at the right time? Do you see your need? And if you do... Don't pass this up. Don't go by another day because today is the day of salvation. Today is the right time. We don't know what happens tomorrow. We don't know what happens Christmas Day in a week from now. A week from now. But right now in this moment, today is the right time. And for one, two, some of you, I don't know, it might be the fullness of time. Historically, spiritually, and personally, wherever you are, whether you're sitting here or in your home or wherever you are, Jesus wants you to come to him and understand that salvation comes through him alone, and he wants you to receive that gift. Will you do that today? Will you believe on him? I'm not going to give you some, we do this, but once in a while we hear about this, but I'm not here to just tell you, Pray after me, and, and, and when I pray this, you pray me, and then you walk out and you have some idea that that's it, I'm all set. You might be. But you gotta believe, and then you gotta live. You gotta hold on to this truth. You gotta have the light of the world that came Jesus light up your life. Not just be a little glimmer and then it's gone. That He's there, He takes residence, and you're living according to His way. It's not just a prayer, it's your faith that leads. It's an ongoing relationship that means you're also following his way, his way, not your way.
So as you leave this morning and as we go, we prepare ourselves for Christmas and celebrate Christ's birth. Remember that God came at the right time. And as you go through this week, reflect. If you're a believer and if you're a child of God, keep reflecting and reminding yourself and just recollecting of how God came into your life at just the right time. And allow God to use you to herald that message of salvation so that he might be born in someone's heart at just the right time. God knows. Let's be faithful. Let's be obedient. And let's proclaim that Christ is born as the Savior of the world. Amen?